Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today's podcast, we're going to be looking at UK markets, touching on a number of shares. To do that, we have with us very kindly again, Alan Green. Thank you very much for being with us this morning. Good to be back, Jonathan. Thank you. So just before we we, we start discussing uh, the shares today, I just want to draw attention to a podcast that we're going to be releasing later on this week, uh, which we recorded yesterday with a fund manager that is very much focused on Vietnam. So this is very interesting for anybody um, that likes to invest in funds and also anybody that has an interest in emerging markets and how these economies and navigating coronavirus. In fact, um, Vietnam, where the focus of this fund is, has navigated it pretty successfully. Uh, They actually had an expansion in their economy during this. So that's a very interesting uh, listen. So that's going to be released later on this week. So do keep uh, an eye out on that. So to get started today, we're going to touch on Barclays. Now, Barclays have reported this morning Shares are currently down about 4%. Now, that's despite a revenue increase uh, up to $11 billion for the half-year period. However, we did see some pretty uh, um, soggy numbers coming out in the profitability, and that was very much driven by impairment charges related to coronavirus. So, Profit for the quarter actually fell to 1.3 billion, and that was down from 3 billion uh, in the same period a year prior. The main impact on that was a 3.7 billion impairment charge due to coronavirus. But if you strip that out, there's some very uh, encouraging uh, underlying business activity because when you strip out the impairment charges, we actually saw a profit there of 5 billion for the quarter. Now that was up from 4 billion and would have been up from 4 billion uh, in the the prior uh, period a year ago. Now, regular listeners to the podcast would have heard an interview we did with with Roger Hardman uh, on the UK Investor Magazine virtual seminar that was published as a podcast. Now he was saying that UK banks are a sector that he would not go anywhere near. Uh, And you may argue the results from today from Barclays do back up that view. But Alan, you have a slightly different take on the banks. Uh, You're a little bit more positive. What's driving your positivity in the banks, given this rather dismal set of results from Barclays this morning? Okay, well, um, positive is possibly too strong a word, Jonathan. Uh, I, I partly agree with Roger's view, but but at the same time, it gets to a point, and we saw this back in the credit crunch, uh, admittedly a different set of circumstances there, um, arguably some might say more severe. But, um, but the fact is that the banks have been bombed out, and uh, we are seeing uh, the share prices... Uh, uh, of the banking, well, the banks in general starting to to recover, but um, but Barclays for a long time has been one of the 
more resilient, uh, um, one of the more resilient uh, of, of the banks. And um, the, the, I mean, look at the results this morning. It, it, it is a it's, it's something of a curate's egg. You know, it's good in parts. Um, the the income obviously is, is encouraging up eight percent. Also, they reduced um, uh, operating expenses um, uh, down to six point six billion. You know, which is a huge number nonetheless. Still down four percent. Uh, credit impairment charges, of course, increase, and I would imagine going forward with the uh, with the COVID crisis and the the fallout from the the bounce back loans and everything else that will that will increase. But nonetheless, the the, um, the tier one equity ratio, which is how the banks are judged in terms of their liquidity, uh, in terms of uh, of their of their sort of um, their going concern status, actually increased to fourteen point two percent. So it's a pretty healthy CET one ratio, and um, as and the actual uh, obviously the the banks are we know are trading below book value at the moment, but Barclays ta- uh, net asset value actually increased per share to two pounds eighty or two hundred eighty four pence, and of course Barclays currently trading at just over. Just over a pound shares off three percent this morning. Um, I, I am a shareholder in Barclays, and I mean, I I uh, I did this during the credit crunch. I picked up banking shares when they were on their knees, as it were, um, down at these down at levels, and I picked up some Barclays shares earlier uh, in the year when they were trading at around seventy five p. So I, I'm I'm well ahead on Barclays. I've also got some Lloyd's too, so I'm I'm quite happy to pick them up at this level. And I I disagree. I, I think. It's all about where you buy these shares, and I think when they're at those levels, um, when they're so far off net asset for asset value, and a, a company this big, uh, although it's inflexible, it's got it's got um, as we've seen, you know, a, a, a jump of eight percent in income this year, and you can do an awful lot of that. That you can do an awful lot with that sort of money in terms of restructuring, streamlining the business, and so so on. And Barclays, I think, have made a better fist of it than many. Um, and whilst there are still risks going forward, I think um, I think that uh, around these sort of levels, the, the shares do still offer great value. Clearly, there's no dividend yet, um, so you wouldn't buy the stock for dividend. You buy it for recovery. But um, but uh, I think um, I think probably of of the banks, but uh, Barclays and Lloyd's look uh, look to, look set to offer better value uh, going forward. So I'm certainly going to continue holding my Barclays shares, Jonathan. So, yeah, I would have to agree with that to some extent that Barclays is one of the better picks of the banks at the moment. And and the reason for that is I'll, I'll just drill down slightly into where the, the revenue is coming from. Now, Jess Staley actually uh, received a bit of criticism for that, for this strategy uh, when he announced it. And that was very much looking to increase the investment banking side of Barclays. Obviously, post uh, financial crisis, there is a, a huge pressure on the banks to become uh, more retail focused. You know, somewhat utilities to some extent. Jess Daly um, decided to to go against that and, and increase uh, the capacity in the investment banking uh, side of things, and that's paid off because they saw a thirty three percent increase in uh, revenue for the half year from the corporate and investment banking unit. And that was very much driven by uh, the market volatility increasing their trading trading revenues. And that was a significant part of their income 
for the hard year. So that's going to be it's going to be interesting as we go through uh, earnings seasons of the banks and see how um, other banks are faring. Because of course, there's going to be um, sort of big issues uh, with mortgages. You know, that's obviously an area that has been significantly reduced in the last quarter. Of course, there's going to be impairment charges, and some of these other banks maybe haven't been as involved in as involved with uh, the government schemes as Barclays has. So that it's going to be interesting to see uh, the differentiation in results coming out. So no doubt, Alan, this is going to be something that we touch on again probably next week when we um, will be you know, all the way through bank earnings and we can uh, have another look at, at how the other banks have fared in this uh, earnings season. So yep. we'll uh, do stay tuned for that. So mo- moving on, um, we're going to we've got three shares that we're going to touch on here. And one we're going to start with, we've mentioned very recently. So we've been hearing quite a lot about travel shares in airlines. Now, there's been just in the last few days, the uh, quarantine measures put back in for travellers coming back from Spain sharp movements down in in airlines, of course. But we're looking at Stagecoach today, Alan. And and this is one, obviously, in the travel sector, slightly different uh, business. uh, But how have they been been faring throughout this period? Well, uh, they're at an interesting juncture, uh, Jonathan. The the, um, Stagecoach Group, of course, um, uh, are Britain's biggest bus and coach operator, um, getting off 8,500 buses, coach and trams up and down the country, um, uh, you know, obviously, they now run Virgin Rail as well and Supertram uh, Rail Network in, in Sheffield. Um, they announced um, uh, uh, full year results last week um, uh, up to May the 2nd. Um, and uh, uh, Atlantic Capital Markets actually published a note on, on, on the company last week. I'm basically going to read from that, but, but I think they... I think they present an interesting investment case and probably a contrarian investment case in uh, uh, for, for many. But um, I just want to sort of basically go through the numbers. So pre-tax profits uh, fell to 90 million from 132 million previously. Uh, revenues uh, fell to to 1.4 billion, down from 1.87 billion previously. Now, if we look at the Stagecoach shares at the moment, they've um, they, they've had a year high of 167 pence, a year low 47p. So we're at 50p. We're just literally trading a, a, above that now. Um, but um, but what what's what I think uh, the, the, the strengths that uh, that um, Stagecoach have and as an investment proposition were outlined by Atlantic Capital Markets. The the, uh, the the company said um, it has a substantial war chest of available liquidity with 800 million of undrawn committed bank facilities and cash deposits. Um, and it also said that before the COVID crisis, uh, bus revenue, regional bus revenue trends were improving. Now, obviously, you know, they've, they've been killed stone dead during the crisis. I understand that. Um, public transport is starting to move again. Obviously, you know, wearing masks and everything is is uh, is is um, is law now. So, so that uh, that may well uh, influence some people's decision whether or not to use them. But um, uh, significantly, 
the the company have pushed very hard to develop their um, developer as a zero car or, uh, as a zero carbon entity. Um, they they have a fleet of very green buses. Obviously, the trains are green, and they're working with national and regional government to develop their to to to, uh, to to achieve their target of becoming <clears throat> a zero carbon company um, within the next few years. So they're they're very much at the forefront of this, and as such, of course, they're getting a lot of kudos and support from from government, as as I've outlined. And Chief Executive made a significant statement in the uh, results. Said he says a stagecoach achieved a credible set of financial results in what has been one of the most challenging and sobering periods for citizens communities and economies across the globe in living memory um so you know that, that against the backdrop i think um i think yeah you know that this company is, is 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 well worth a look just to summarize uh, what atlantic capital markets said on the company um the uh, uh the view of the company the view of atlantic is that despite the covid impact on travel the government continues to press ahead with initiatives to encourage the general public to reduce carbon emissions by using green buses and trains. So, so that will continue regardless. Stagecoach and its fleet of green buses and trains are at the forefront of this push, uh, and as such, will continue to receive strong support. Uh, with shares now trading at ten-year lows, new contract shortlists. Uh, I, I didn't mention they've also been shortlisted for contracts in Dubai and in Sweden, um, and the war chest. They're back in the shares to turn the corner and to recover to one pound by the end of quarter three. Um, and added to this, uh, the company have also indicated that it's their ambition to resume dividend payments in due course. So uh, a contrarian idea, but nonetheless, you know, that there are, we're seeing a lot of strong recoveries from these large FTSE 100 uh, and, and large listed companies. So so Stagecoach could very much be, uh, you know, back to its former glories uh, before too long. So, and I would question with with Stagecoach. They say they have the, the war chest, but how much of that war chest do you think will go on just getting the business through the COVID nineteen crisis, as opposed to it being allocated to investment in growth going forward? Well, that, that, that's a very good point, and I think um, I think the, uh, the 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 company had stated that uh, the business had, was running well up up um, prior to the COVID crisis. Um, the the government's drive to push the the uh, commuting public onto onto public transport will continue undiminished. And I mean, certainly from my standpoint, I would much rather go on a bus than uh, a tube in London. I, I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh, Jonathan, but that's certainly my view. So I think it's it's quite feasible that um, with masks and everything else, we the the, uh, the public could be enticed back onto certainly the buses in the city. Um, and a lot of people don't run cars anymore. Let's not forget. So so the bus really for them to travel, the bus is their only option. And as people go back to work, um, they 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 will have to get there somewhere, whether they choose to cycle if it's nearby or catch the buses. Is another thing, but um, I, I think we can expect to see uh, revenues from from the uh, from the uh, the uh, um, bus income uh, recovering for Stagecoach. Um, obviously, as you say, John Jonathan, they had that war chest. Um, they will be spending some of it, no doubt, on supporting the company during the COVID crisis, making cuts um, and so on. But um, 
these are, of course, are the full year results. So I think we probably have to wait for a further trading statement from the company covering the COVID crisis to get to get a clear indication. But let's not forget these results run up to May the second, so that was pretty well in the middle of the of the crisis. So uh, it was certainly the, the impact was becoming evident on the numbers. Indeed, and I think it's one that we should probably discuss again because it's a very good indicator as well of the overall UK economy in terms of um, trips being made and such like, and obviously the confidence uh, that travellers have within the UK. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, uh, we'll revisit them again, I'm sure, when they do report next. Uh, so mo- moving on, we again, this is a company that we have discussed in some detail previously, but as we mentioned, there's a very strong... Uh, flow of news coming from and this is tertiary minerals alan they've had a another update on their operations this week what does that look like yes yeah, so so uh, so again tertiary minerals uh, and i'm astonished the, the share price hasn't moved more i mean the company um j- just to remind uh, our listeners the company is currently worth about two two and a half million it's got seven hundred thousand in the bank and um it, it acquired on top of the uh, the uh, Nevada projects, that's of course the the Pyramid Gold project and the Paymaster Polymetallic project. It's uh, it acquired um, three new projects at a very low cost. One of them was the Mount Tobin Silver Prospect, and the company provided an update on that on Monday, um, saying that the preliminary rock samples from the the uh, hand dug pits have returned silver values of up to one hundred and one grams per ton uh, which is which is pretty significant and several other samples there return between 15 and 91 grams per ton, per ton of silver and certainly the silver prices is, is uh, along with gold it's recovering at the moment and um, indeed Patrick Cheatham said in his comments it's an interesting time for silver with a price up 80 percent over the past 18 weeks and arguably showing more leverage than the gold price in current market conditions. Um, so tertiary are going to continue with the sampling uh, and, and mapping out of the area um, and, and, and developing the Mount Tobin prospect. But um, I think we're going to see, because of the number of projects tertiary are operating in the area, I expect to see a series of news updates uh, from this over the, over the next, uh, over the next uh, uh, six to eight weeks. But certainly uh, where the valuation is, I mean, it's, um, if there's any, if there are any significant strikes and discoveries and i think the mount tobin one is significant i'm just amazed the share price hasn't moved more as of yet but uh, um so if you if you are looking for um uh an investment into um a mining company with a spread of of um of precious metal and polymetallic assets uh, in the states i think tertiary um has got to be one uh, to take a close look at Yes, definitely, definitely well worth uh, having a look at their range of, of operations there because they are quite broad and especially silver is an interesting one with uh, a lot of the focus at the moment on gold. Um, to some extent, I think maybe silver has gone underneath the radar in terms of coverage in, in the mainstream media. Uh, so an interesting mix there for tertiary and no doubt one that we will uh, will touch on again. So to finish things off, Alan, we have a company that's very much involved in blockchain. Now, looking at the news uh, in the last few days, you probably would have seen 
headlines regarding Bitcoin and very sharp movements up there. To be clear, the company we're going to discuss is in no way involved in Bitcoin, but it's that technology behind Bitcoin in blockchain is the technology that this company is harnessing. Um, so it's Catanai Innovations, Alan. I think it is one that we've discussed previously on the podcast, but there's been some news flow from them recently. Yeah, there has, uh, Jonathan, indeed. Um, uh, so Catanai Innovation are uh, a, a very interesting company on a number of levels. Um, they 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 are um, they have developed uh, blockchain technology uh, to provide. Um, uh, what, what we call immutable services for record keeping and, and document uh, and document exchange and GDPR uh, compliant, of course, as well. Um, so the uh, blockchain, obviously, everyone tends to associate blockchain with um, with uh, uh, with something that's uh, uh, involved with with Bitcoin, and indeed that is very true. However, um, that's only that's only part of the story. Um, Blockchain is a lot bigger than that, and it's the actual technology behind it that's interesting. Um, there's there's a very highly qualified team uh, working at the company. Um, the team includes Guy Meyer, who's confirmed recently as permanent CEO. The CTO is a guy called Alan Simpson, and Alan Simpson is famous for founding the iPlayer for the BBC. Um, he was the guy that designed and built the thing in the first place, and he's since been involved in blockchain um, uh, on, a, on through a, a number of different organisations, um, the uh, major shareholder in the company, a guy called Brian Thompson, is a technology uh, entrepreneur. Um, he runs a he runs a number of successful businesses up in the northeast of England. Um, but the uh, the company uh, have have used the, the uh, their blockchain um, offering to provide. A number of uh, um, solutions, both in the commercial and the and, and the um, and and the leisure sectors, um, but the it's been in the news for over the past few months for developing um, a, a an app called Cove Cove ID, um, and this is a, a joint uh, development taking place with Zed Yen Group, and the co-founder of Zed Yen Group is a guy called Professor Michael Maynelli. And if you Google him, he's uh, he's a very big hitter in this space. He's uh, very well regarded. Um, so the app is the, the technology has been used to develop an app to record an individual's COVID test status, um, and uh, this is key. Obviously, given the given that uh, the government policy at the moment seems to be changing on a daily basis in regard to travel. Should we go to Spain? Should we come back from Spain? Will we be quarantined when we come back from Spain? We just don't know. What the what the government is needs desperately and what the uh, what what the UK and other countries need desperately is an app that um, will record an individual's test status which can be presented at uh, at uh, um, uh, at uh, uh, customs uh, points on entry and exit, so uh, decisions can be made immediately without too much interrupting the uh, the flow of travel. And Cat uh, uh, and I have developed this app. They've trialed the app with um, uh, Newcastle Premier Health, and the the uh, trial was uh, very successful. Um, fully validated all the aspects of the app and uh, and uh, its efficacy. And since the since the uh, tests were complete, the company have announced their 
first deal with um, Africa ID. And, um, Africa ID is a Botswana company set up by the former Botswana ambassador to the USA, Canada, and and, and the Caribbean. Um, and of course, they are potentially going to provide this solution or the the uh, Katmai solution to up to three hundred and forty six million people across the Southern African states. So, you know, if it's a, a cost per usage, you can see the sort of potential we're talking about. Um, Katnai is, uh, it, it's, it's generating small revenues thus far from the contracts it has, but this is going to be a game changer. And once it's rolled out through the UK, or if it's, uh, if it's ultimately uh, becomes the tool of choice uh, used by the government and recommended by the government for um, recording individual test status, then it could be absolutely enormous for the company. So it's a technology company, very much in its infancy, but uh, one that could be poised to be absolutely huge if the contract wins come in. So with this app, Alan, is this going to be something that private companies use um, throughout their organisations? Or, or, or is there a real chance that the government could actually take this up? I mean, they, they were... Um, supposedly trialling a app for uh, use throughout the UK that obviously didn't take off. I mean, what are the sort of chances of the government revisiting such a program and using one developed by a company such as Cat and I? Well, I, th- I think I think there is a good chance because um, I mean, if you look, at, I go back to the people in the business. Um, Alan Simpson, he's a, he's an industry big hitter. You know, the BBC adopted his technology for the iPlayer and. Look where we are now. The iPlayer is a, you know, it's a huge part of the BBC offering. Um, so, so, so the, these are people that have achieved great things within the industry. Professor Michael Manelius is a, has a similar profile, and um, and I think the the potential of blockchain technology probably hasn't been exported by the other apps out there that that the the government are looking at, and um, it it's all about. It's all about accuracy. And the one thing that we know about blockchain is that once the record's there, it can't be changed. It's immutable. It's uh, um, it, 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 it's it's there. And obviously, um, as 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 individuals pass through pass through uh, uh, customs or they pass into into across borders into other countries, um, if they have a phone and that status is recorded and it's checked. I don't know how it would. I don't know exactly how it works, what the actual mechanism is behind it. But um, uh, if it's an instant check that can be done in seconds, then clearly that's going to greatly assist um, in bringing the travel industry back online and helping them to recover. And obviously, the ramifications of that are huge for the leisure industry and and for economies around the world. Um, but yes, it, it's um, that that's where the app is right now. But I think. It has the credentials um, to to become a, a central, uh, pivotal uh, uh, um, uh, instrument in uh, in getting people back to work and getting people travelling again. So it's going to be a very interesting company to watch uh, because obviously the potential there is is pretty significant. But with all of these technology companies towards the higher uh, end of the risk spectrum in terms of equities available to UK investors but definitely very interesting story there and i'm sure one that we'll discuss again alan when we hear more news indeed jonathan well the the epico there's ctea if you look at the share price of the company has been uh, has been pretty volatile over the past uh, the past few months um shares are currently trading at just under 
4p it's been as high as 9p on the year and it's uh it's also come up from sort of below 1p so um yeah it, it's uh i think the um the, there are several interviews around with the chief exec guy Meyer at the moment which uh which he he uh he does articulate the the story very well so um well, worth a look indeed indeed fantastic so just as a, a recap uh, alan did mention the ticker of Catanai there, which is C-T-E-A. We discussed tertiary minerals. The ticker is T-Y-M. Um, Stagecoach, uh, ticker S-G-C. And of course, Barclays, ticker B-A-R-C. Alan, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Jonathan. Speak again next week. So just a little reminder, we will be releasing um, the, the podcast later on this week that we did with a fund manager focusing on emerging market in um, Vietnam. So do keep an eye out for that. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.